You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Hi, this is Deep Tran, senior editor at American Theater Magazine. I'm Jose Solis, a freelance theater critic, and we're your token theater friends—people who love theater so much that we'll go to Shakespeare in the Park in a 98-degree day, won't we? No, have fun. No. I'm staying indoors. No. <laughs> uh, what are we going to be talking about today? We are going to start by talking about Tony Stone by Lydia Diamond at Roundabout, and we are going to finish by discussing Unmaking Toulouse Lautrec. By who the, the fuck made this? Oh, oh Mara Lieberman. Oh, really? Oh, she yeah. wrote it. It's written. Okay. And we are going. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no shade. No shade. <laughs> Can't do the last part. And yeah, well, I'll just leave that in. <laughs> you're gonna leave that in. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my god. No, that's so mean to the women. No, no shade. Oh, okay. okay. Okay, I'm fine. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then afterwards, we have a special treat for all of you. We managed to get interviews with two of the actors from Hades Town, the hottest show playing on Broadway right now because it is literally set in hell. It is, and it's also 100 degrees. And we should mention also that we had scheduled three actresses, but one of them got sick. So that would have been even more incredible. Yeah. It would have been epic, and and not just the song from the show. <laughs> it's fine. The interview is still epic, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, and then afterwards, we're going to be talking about the shows that are closing on Broadway, and the shows that are making money on Broadway. Yay, Heidi. Yay, Heidi. <laughs> all right. Uh, first of all, first up, let's talk about Tony Stone, the new play by Lydia Diamond, currently playing at Roundabout Theater Company. And fun fact, Lydia Diamond is the first woman of color to have a play on Roundabout's main stage in more than 10 years. That's very gross. Did I call it Tony Stark or did I call it Tony no, Stone? No, no, you, you called it Tony Stone, okay. so you're fine. Okay, because I've, I've been calling it Tony Stark by mistake, obviously. Uh, Tony Stone is about the first woman to play in the Negro League. That's, it's a real person, and it's set in the 1920s and 1950s. And it's about her struggles as the only woman in her profession and uh, the racial politics of playing baseball, of, of being an all-black baseball team in racist white America. It, it, this place is interesting because it was like... Uh, it, because both Jose and I don't like baseball. And I... And so the play was like at... At once, more exciting than I thought it was going to be, and at the same time, less exciting than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> because it was more exciting in that the way they portrayed the baseball is so ingenious. Like, they have them dancing. Uh, Camille Brown did the choreography from it, and Camille Brown is a legend, and so I'm so glad she was part of this production because she has made baseball look so much more exciting and what I wish baseball would look like in real life. And at the same time... I wish there was, even though Tony Stone, played by April Mathias, is on stage the entire time and she talks for 90% of the show, of the show, I feel like I didn't actually know her very well. Because for, I, I didn't get much of like the why of why this was so important. You just kind of take it for granted. Oh, this is, I love baseball and as a, and I'm, I'm a tomboy. And so therefore, I will do this for a living, even though historically it is very difficult for women to play sports, as we all know from the women's soccer league being paid far less than the male, the male American soccer team. And so I think it was one of those times where like I wanted more of like the, the meat and blood of struggle rather than I had this conflict and then this conflict was resolved usually with my husband. I don't know. It felt a little bit dull to me at times. What did you think? It was like a show-and-tell thing yeah. where you bring, you know, when they made you tell, like, what you did during the summer, 
when they were back in school. And <laughs> the the story is clearly very important. I had never heard mm-hmm. about Tony Stone, and I no, could guarantee, it needs to be told. yes, yeah. I could guarantee that probably ninety eight percent of the people there had no idea who she was probably 100% of the people. So the story, you know, the women in question is incredibly important because she not only she wasn't only the first woman to play in the black uh, league, she was the first woman to play baseball ever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, can you imagine a league mm-hmm. of their own but about Tony Stone? Yeah. That would have been like incredible. Wait, I mean, I've never seen that, a league of their own, but... Ooh, girl, you need to fix that <laughs> right now. I agree with you, though. The... There was a lot lacking in the storytelling, and the problem for me was that it was a play that was made for white people. It was meant to engage them and to to get them to have empathy, which is very sad that playwrights still playwrights of color still have to do this. That they need they feel the need to be you know approved by white audiences. It seems like Lady Diamond was so afraid of offending people or challenging the primarily white audiences that she just, like, neutered the story. Yes, that's a perfect word. Yes, it's neutered. Yeah. The the play only came alive for me twice. Yeah. yeah. I think it, in the same moments, right? Yeah. Uh, well, let's yeah, see. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. okay. The first one was a moment, the moment that closes the first act, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where this whole thing They've been talking about baseball, and all of a sudden, they turn baseball into a metaphor for minstrel shows, and they're clowning on stage, and I was, you know, they're just sitting, just bored, to be honest, Mm -hmm. and then when that happened, like, it woke me up. It was like the play had a spark, and it was alive, and then the other moment for me, like, to be honest, I wish the play had ended there. Mm Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it would have been like a twist. Like, see, you've been sitting there listening to facts, and now see how this felt for the people in question back then, and how it probably feels for a lot of black people in America today, right? And then the other moment was the scene between uh, Tony and the women who plays the sex worker. Yes. <gasps> and that's the same moment? Yes. <laughs> And, and, and it wasn't a, a woman who plays sex worker. It was a man who plays sex worker who also played like one of the baseball players. Right. And we haven't discussed the show before. Mm-mm. See, that's weird. Those were the only two moments when the play felt truly alive. Mm-hmm. When I felt that I was seeing human beings on stage and not just like Wikipedia pages. Like someone's book report. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the first moment for me, the reason that it worked was because it made the audience complicit in the act of gazing on an all-black cast. It was a primarily white audience. And then April Mathias basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, you're watching us express joy. And at the same time, like, you don't support us mm-hmm. as people. And, like, that is something most people need to hear. And I wish the show would have continued to go in that direction. And instead, like, in Act 2, it kind of pulled back and said, don't worry, we're not going to we're not calling you. We're not going to be calling you out for the rest of the show. And I'm thinking, but do, because this is the first woman of color who's had a production at this theater in more than 10 years. This need this theater needs to be called out for that. Yes. These people need to be called out for that. And yet this and yet Lydia refuses to do it. And it was frustrating. It was. Especially thinking about the way that the media still keeps treating people like Serena Williams, where they wanna engage with what a, an incredible sports woman she is, mm-hmm. but then pretend that she's not a black woman. Yeah. Or like they or they call her names when she speaks out about it. Yes. You can't have just the joy. No. It's you not can't. fair. Yeah, exactly. And you can't just negate the fact that these people live in a world where their existence is, where they're seen as less than actual people. And they have more struggles than white men who play the sport. 
And yet you just want to ignore that because you don't want it to ruin your good time. Like, that's unfair. Right. It's also the same now that I think about it. God damn it. I wish this play was better. Uh, (laughs) Because it would have been like a perfect way to talk about things, not only in sports, but also what we're seeing with those, uh, the congresswomen, the Mm -hmm. four congresswomen of color who this asshole president keeps insulting. And Republicans are just pretending that it doesn't ever happen. And they're just claiming, oh, it's not racism. It's just politics. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, that's bullshit. Everything that's politics is about people yes i think we both wish the play would have talked about those actual struggles yes or just given as human beings like more rounded human beings although i have to say that Mm -hmm. given the weak material that she's given i think april matthias gives an incredible performance she's so committed to that character Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know she makes the play come alive at moments when she's just reciting facts and that's impressive yeah, and I think like all of I how how many people are is it, are in that one two three four five six seven eight nine there's nine people eight of them eight of them are men and I really loved how Lydia was able to give each of them like a personality and kind of a motivation outside of just playing baseball so we weren't just watching tropes of black athletes which is always a problem when we're talking about black athletes. Yes, it is. I just wish that the industry makes uh, itself a home for people like Lydia so she can tell the stories she probably needs to tell and not Mm -hmm. stories that she thinks are going to please the white audiences. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's pleasing them because it's selling the show selling pretty well. It got stunned. So what do we know, right? Right. Well, (laughs) money, I guess. You can sell your show when you make it palatable to white people. Get that money. Lydia Diamond, get that money. Do it, girl. Okay. Uh, Tony Stone runs until August 11th. It just got extended. And tickets are 79 to $89. Though, uh, Roundabout does have a young people's program. It's called Hip Ticks. And so you can get tickets for $35. So all of you under 30s. Uh, no, all of you under 40, you, they've increased the age. If you're under 40, you should join and uh, tell us what you think of Tony Stone. Of oh, course, cool. so I have 15 more years yes. in the roundabout thing. <laughs> <laughs> now you got 20 more years. You don't look a day uh, over 21. Okay, so don't take me drinking. <laughs> you're going to get arrested. <laughs> okay, next thing we're doing. Next, we went to Madam X, which perhaps not coincidentally is the name of Madonna's new album out in source now, so buy it. Anyway. Well, and also it's the name of a famous painting. That's why they call it that. Well, Madonna, Madonna was. <laughs> Madonna loves her art, though. She's, yes. yeah, self reference a lot of other artistic movements. And Madonna also, like, created the universe and she became before the sergeant painting so anyway 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 we went to madam x to oh you had a birthday there i did have a birthday there once yes we went to i had never been upstairs though had you oh yeah i had for like another immersive theater thing like they i think they mainly do like special events up there because it's gorgeous up there did you see that cute little alcove thing like a cave i want a room like that anyway we're getting distracted uh the unmaking of Toulouse Lautrec is an impressionistic, immersive take on the life of the famous painter who basically brought can can dancers to life, and that's how we remember them and how we remember this particular time in Paris and the La Vie Bohème, basically. Yeah, La Belle Buck, yeah. Yeah. And it was all this bohemian people just creating art and like fucking and drinking. And getting syphilis. And getting, yeah, and getting all the STIs back then and also like dancing to Can Can. So when you arrive at Madame X, you sit basically in what looks like a Parisian like attic. Mm-hmm. And then the play unfolds in front of you. And I have to say, I was very excited to see Can Can dancers in mm. front of me. <laughs> did Did you feel like you were at Le Moulin Rouge? I mean, kind of. <laughs> there was AC. <laughs> yeah. it, it's true. It was like it was very comfortable. I was very comfortable, which, mm-hmm. which was also very good because you're sitting like lounging around and like drinking champagne. Mm-hmm. And champagne was six bucks. Yeah, champagne was six bucks. So yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, there's not much of a plot. It's like a, t- a retelling of Toulouse Lautrec's life from when he was born up until he died. But yeah, you have to be a little bit familiar with him and his work 
to know to like get the most out of this experience. But what I did love was like it was not linear, so it kept it interesting. But it also that there was this really great moment where they like fast forward like a hundred years, and it's like a contemporary art auction that tells you like how much his paintings are worth today, which is millions、mm-hmm. of dollars, and how. And he was painting people who were seen as like the vagrants of society, and now those vagrants are selling for millions of dollars because capitalism is poison. And and so and so it really it really makes you think about an about just like we don't see things as valuable unless there's a dollar amount to it, and and how. Even these days, like we don't really value artists unless, like, someone else tells you, "Oh, they're famous." That's so depressing. I know, but the champagne, but the champagne helped. It,、yeah. it kept me in a good mood. It lifts you up, and it's so inventive in the、mm-hmm. way that you know, like the scene when he's born, and also the scene when he dies. Like the way that it's also like watching performance art. There's.、Mm-hmm. Fabrics and there's the、like、unveiling of paintings, and I have to、so、say,、yeah. yeah, I have to say, not having seen the production of Moulin Rouge on Broadway, but having seen it in Boston last year, I wish Moulin Rouge was half as inventive as the making of Toulouse Lautrec. <laughs> to be honest,、mm-hmm. and Toulouse Lautrec is a character. Yes. And I think I believe they have they quote. There's a line in a Megan Toulouse track that the real Toulouse track actually said, and it's also in Moulin Rouge.、Oh. So there's a connective tissue.、Meta. I long for love. I long for it with every fiber of my being, or something like oh. that. Oh, <laughs> no. yeah. Oh. <laughs> anyway, it's, yeah, you're gonna feel leaping a little melancholy. It's not just a good time, which is important, I think. It's also very short, so you can have a fun time and then just like go drink some more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of the actors.、Uh, it's a fun time. Yeah, it it is a good time. Which, if you're seeing a play at bar, it's basically all you want. <laughs> so, on making Toulouse, the track runs every Wednesday at Madame X until August seventh, and it's only thirty five dollars, and the and the drinks are cheap. So, come bring friends, have and have a great time. Go have fun. Yes. Yes. Okay. You do you want to intro Hades Town? Sure. Oh, do we need to do like a summary of Hades Town? I don't think so. I think let's no, listen、cause... to the cast album. Like what? Yeah. Yeah.、Uh, next up, we went down, 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 down to Hades Town. That's my Patrick Page. <laughs> I'm trying. I don't know. Anyway, oh, it's, you're, you're you're so much sexier already. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Now I sound like I have a cold. Anyway, we have an interview with the amazing. Tony nominated Amber Gray, who I love so much, and with the really wonderful Kate Trinidad, who plays one of the Fates, and we talked about so much stuff. It's so interesting, and just listen to it. Yeah, the literal goddesses. Yeah, play goddesses on stage, and they're literal goddesses. Does that make us like? I mean, but、uh, does that Orpheus? And- yes. <laughs> That means we were the boring people. We're the Hades Town workers. Oh God, we were the we're boring. We're in the sexy、guy. overalls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go listen to that. I don't know about you boys, but if you're like me, then hanging around this old manhole is bringing you down. Six feet under, getting under your skin. Cabin fever is a setting in. You stir crazy, stuck in a rut. You could use a little pick me up. I can give you what it is you crave. A little something from the good old days. I got the wind right here in a jar. I got the rain on tap at the bar. I got sunshine. I've been dying to know what it was like after that first, you know, after you won all the Tonys. What was that first performance back at Hades sound like? It was 
wild. It was wild. It was like a rock concert. Yeah. I keep joking. I'm like, you're all cheap dates. Because <laughs> <laughs> they just screamed and screamed. Yeah. Before we even did anything. But I feel like every performance is like that now, though. It's true. Jose and I both saw the show in 2016 at New York Theatre Workshop, yeah. and and since then, like I was surprised when I saw that there were animated videos about Hades Town and fan art. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what do you think is the appeal of it for? Well, I know for me, I know the show is so magical in itself, and being in it, and I know we always felt it. Just you know, and I'm so happy to hear other audience members when they talk to us. Mm-hmm. It that magic translates to them. And so I think, yeah, you know, the, the big support of the show is just in the music and the piece itself. Yes. I think the core of the attraction just goes back to the music itself. Like, that concept mm-hmm. album has been in the world for quite some time. And even before that, before it was an album, it existed in the world. It's just you have to sort of know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are attracted to that music. And... I think that's like very common in the music world, you know what I mean? And it is becoming more common in the musical theater world, um, where fans just like get very attached to a project and yeah, create awesome art. It's very cool to collect it all, to like see it en masse. Yeah. And the fact that that album came out in the first place helped garner that following mm-hmm. easier than seeing Absolutely. it and then it disappears. So it's, it's there for people to latch on to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, historically, in musical theater, people usually talk about it being a medium of composers and people know the music. Mm. And I think right now we are in an era where we're saying musical theater is in an era of directors. And Rachel Chapkin is mm. changing mm-hmm. what musicals do and what people think they can do on a Broadway stage, for instance, and both of you have worked, you've worked with Rachel for like a century. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a thousand years old. <laughs> <laughs> and we also did uh, uh, Lempika with, yes. with Rachel, so uh, can you talk about what it's like to be in the room with this genius? Yeah. My joke lately is that I despise articulating why I love Rachel because to put language to it is just will never serve justice to how deeply I feel for her. That said, I will try. Um, She is attracted to art that has soul and deep politics, which I love. Like that type of art just happens to turn Mm -hmm. me on personally. And uh, yeah. And she comes from a background of devised work and new work and experimental, as it's called sometimes, work. So she has a great capacity to see new work in particular and, and see where the holes are. And she's great. I, you know, I've called her like a midwife to new work. She's very good at cleaning up new shows. Um, so people seek her out. Writers have been seeking her out, as you said. It's interesting, though, to start thinking of musicals uh, switching to like a director's medium. But yeah, she has a, an amazing imagination, and I think a lot of that comes from her company, the team. Just her, I mean, all, all of the shows I've been in of hers, they are athletic events. <laughs> they are no joke, you know? Um, and that's just how she sees it. They are very, yeah whole body, visceral experience. And she gets athletic with us. I yeah, love seeing does. her. She'll be stretching on the floor with us. Yeah, or like, yeah she gets down and dirty with us, too. Mm-hmm. I love that. And she makes yeah. the space so safe, and she lets us know that what we think and what we say also matters to the artistic process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very empowering yes. and we're working with her. Yeah. Wait, well, since, since you talked about that lyricism, like, Amber, Amber, like, when you were in Great Comet, I can see all, all of you just, like, walking up and down those stairs, like, hundreds of times, yeah. and in the peak, I saw that, too, and you all were, like, moving furniture, <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, how, and as actors, as physical beings, like, how do you stay well and healthy, like, during, like, doing all of this, like, physically strenuous activity? Mm-hmm. I need a lot of sleep. A lot of sleep. Like some singers stay away from alcohol, stay away from dairy. As long as I sleep eight hours. How did you do that? I don't know how she got I mean, like with napping as well. It might not be wow. a solid. It's never a solid eight hours because I have two children as well. And I, the kids are like the least of my staying awake concerns. Um, <laughs> um, 
Uh, rest is vital. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, people are always like, how do you do it? I'm like, well, I spend 22 and a half hours of my day saving my energy for that two and a half hour event. You know, it's like being an Olympic athlete. I have to pay attention to what I eat. I have to take a certain amount of supplements so that my voice is always okay. I see an ENT that I like, who's very witchy and he's a real healer. I see him once a week. Oh, wow. To get certain IVs to make sure that, you know, the gift yeah. <laughs> stays all right. Yeah, it's no joke. Sleep's important, but also for me, super hydration. Mm-hmm. I need a lot of water, and my allergies are horrific mm-hmm. year-round. So for me, I have to neti pot day and night, yep, um, gargle with salt all the time, me too. Um, and allergy medicines, flonase. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Totally. But I, those rat houses are so old. So yeah. when you have allergies, everything is triggered. You both have been working for a very long time during theater, and it's only now also that we're finally getting to see, you know, a cast like the ensemble of Hades Town, which is so diverse and multicultural and multi-ethnic. And I wonder when you first started in the business and you were like, I'm gonna be a, a theater person, mm. did you ever dream of this day actually coming and what does it feel like now that you're actually getting to play whatever part you want basically and fingers crossed yeah well for me i absolutely always dreamed that i we wouldn't have to be i wouldn't have to be put in a box and be the token agent or you know and i've had lots of opportunities to either be the token and to branch out and do other works it doesn't matter what i look like and i love that i love that so much and when i went to NYU, i would look at backstage and i'd look at all the casting and it was like caucasian 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 i was like nope for me i always dream big and i was like i'm going in for it i'm going in i don't care they're going to see me and i just wanted to just be seen and don't we all we just want to be seen for totally what we have to offer a new era, so. I don't think I knew as a kid that this industry was so exclusive mm. on that front. Mm. So it didn't occur to me to have that particular dream about it, you know what I mean? And then as I yeah, started training and everything, when you quickly get boxed, it's like one of the few industries, right, that's like totally allowed to discriminate on paper. <laughs> and like even dealing with pregnancies, it's like always says in the contract, you must always fit the costume. They don't care why you gain weight. They're allowed to fire you for not fitting the costume, right? It's like, it's Dina. I'm super grateful. There, the moments where I've had to be the token, it was like very crucial to the storytelling and the story yeah. I believed in. So I was grateful for that. Yes. And, but most of the time, just very happy to do my work, be an actor, and then there'd be zero comment about what I am mm-hmm. as a human. That said, I feel like there's lots of like patting on the back lately, like, oh, we did this, we're in such a good place. I'm like, no, no, we're still at the bottom. There's so much work to do. This is Mm -hmm. just the beginning. Like, I don't want anyone to get comfortable. Mm -hmm. There should be no patting on the back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it's shameful that it's taken us so long to even get where we are now. So, yeah. Because, like, when I went to see Hades Town on Broadway Mm -hmm. and I saw you and Patrick on that balcony, I immediately thought to myself, and I told my friend also, <laughs> I know I shouldn't talk about the other way. I, I went to my friend, she needs to play Evita today. And now I've designed to have you play Wonder Woman in a musical. Yes. And, <laughs> and I what are those dream parts for you mm-hmm. that you haven't had a chance to play yet? I don't know. I always dream of. I love new work, so mm, there are, same. The I parts I dream yeah, of are, are either in the works or totally. You know, same. Same. Catered I to don't, what we can do. My bread and butter in the last two years is all new works, mm-hmm. and I um, love that. Except for that revival of Oklahoma, that's the only thing I've ever done. That was like revival time. I don't. I'm all about new works. That's I good. love it. I like. Let's make new art. Why are we rehashing old stuff? But no longer speak to that. Um, yeah, I it, new things. I mean, I really want to do something with Eartha Kitt. <laughs> Talk about dream yes. um, I think people on Twitter have been saying you should play her. Have they? Yes. I have on Twitter, so I wouldn't know. But no, thanks, but Twitter. Um, <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah, things like that. But I have noticed, because people ask this question quite a bit, and I find myself being like, if I had to answer it, you know, I'm like, okay, well... 
Martha, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, which that estate is very tricky about, you know, um, minorities playing mm -hmm. roles. They have let a mixed woman play Martha once, but they would not let a black woman, like a fully black woman, play it, which, you know, dicey territory. Um, so in that sense, don't know that I want to be in one of those plays. <laughs> but that type of role, like Medea... Oh, yeah, um, the witch who's afraid of Virginia, uh, the witch in Into the Woods. I Clearly, I like a certain type of woman because I'm like exercising some some muscles that I feel like maybe I don't have as much in my own life. So that's my own like that's my own little therapy session. Jose and I have this conversation all the time about like, oh, what do we do with these old problematic works? And then how do we talk about them? Like, yes, they're pretty, they sound good, and the music's amazing, and then, oh, but there's this little thing that I need to ignore in order to fully enjoy this experience. Like, yeah. I, I love The King and I, and you've been in The King and I, and at the same time, I'm always like, ah, I'll just listen to the album. I just need to listen to the album, and I'll feel better about it. But so, like, where, like, what do you think we should do with when, when, when we think when we're thinking about revivals and when we're thinking about like how to make them relevant or sh are there certain things that just should just be put in the why vault? do we I just don't understand why we have to make them relevant like let's just honor them in the sense that yes they were amazing pieces of music but they were racist they were misogynistic mm -hmm. they were lots of horrible things and like that's history that's part of our culture's history why do we have to like pretend it's something it's not Let's like fully, and why do we have to keep reviving them? <laughs> Let them die. <laughs> Let them die. <laughs> when I saw Hades Town in 2016, I remember hearing a song about the wall and my mm -hmm. ears also, you know, like going, oh. But then back then, I think we all had so much hope and I was like, oh, this is just going to be like a, totally. a gorgeous musical fairy tale. We don't need to think about this. And I wonder for you, do you remember what you were thinking during the show three years ago? And now for both of you, you're doing the show at a moment, but it seems, and people have, I've heard people also, and I've read people online say, oh, they wrote this musical in protest uh, for the right. government, which is not the case. Well, sure. It was written in protest in the sense that it's a true folk song that poured out of Anais Mitchell in 2006 in 10 minutes, and it's the only song in the show where not a single word has been changed since 2006, right? Mm -hmm. It just is what it is, and which is like, an amazing piece of folk music like that. Um, the reality is there's always been fascism and there always will be, right? So in that sense, yes, it's a protest song. Is it about a particular human that we might have to deal with right now? No, not at all. Does it apply? Yes. Um, which is why it's so prolific, you know? Uh, but in 2016 when we sang it, Yeah, it was easy to shy away from, and sometimes audience members, you know, could giggle about it or ignore it or call it something else, and now people can't escape it. And I don't know about you, what you see during that song, but like the as the smoke and fog dissipate, I can't actually see the audience at all for the first half, mm -hmm. and then once yeah. it clears, I can really see them, and people are typically not well during that song. They'll have like a handful of different types of reactions, but they're all, it's like watching a car crash, they're all like not well reactions. No, I can kind of see that. You're closer to them at that point. Wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wild. But I could definitely, when we're shooting the lyrics out to them, yeah. you can feel it a little, like... Oh, you can feel the uneasiness. Yeah, at times. It's also yeah. where the bottom of the play drops out and you realize what you're actually watching. Like, before Wall, you could take Hades Town as a much um, easier to swallow piece of entertainment. Mm. You know, it's that that is where it becomes clear that there is this other message and storyline going on. And we had considered, actually, in while this final round and workshopping things still, you know, it's always changing... Um, in this final round of rehearsals, we had considered moving the intermission to after Wait For Me, before Wall. Right. Which I think would have made people think it was a very different musical. But anyway, I'm happy that the intermission is where it is. Mm -hmm. But did you see a difference in reaction from audiences in London versus here? Yeah, in Canada and in London. I mean, they, they have different situations that they're dealing with so they definitely reacted in different ways I mean you know in London they're dealing with their own sort of wall with Brexit and everything um, but in general British audience members you know culturally <laughs> Americans are cheap dates I like to say as I joked <laughs> earlier but it's true and Brits you know wear sleeves around their heart you gotta like work a little harder and we almost always won them over by the end but in the beginning they weren't always like as quick to be on board oh, as they are here which you know it's fine 
Why? It's just a different, huh? Because of Brits. It's part of their culture. They don't. The reason they're so funny is because they're emotionally blocked. Sorry. <laughs> um, facts with Amber Gray. <laughs> That's the next episode. <laughs> uh, and not blocked. Well, blocked. But they don't share their emotions as easily as Americans do. And I say that without judgment. Like some people think that's a positive. Some people think it's a negative. Who cares really? It's just culturally a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Between Brits and Americans. Your characters get to have the most fun day of the show. And I love Orpheus and Eurydice, but they're always suffering and they're in pain. <laughs> and you are rocking like, you know, like, like rock stars. Yeah. And I don't know how to act, and I've always, or how to sing. But I imagine as a little boy growing up, that if mm-hmm. I ever got on a stage, I would just like conjure Madonna and just be like Madonna and guide me through this. And I wonder where that Britney shirt. <laughs> yeah. Remember, like, do you have those moments where you're on stage and you suddenly like, like I'm suddenly like obsessed by this group, like Diana Ross, and I'm gonna like rock this theater tonight. Oh, I just like rocking it as Kate Janet. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I don't think of like the. You know the greats that have come before yeah. me. I don't think it, but yes, I do have that feeling of like, ah, I'm in a rock concert. She's <laughs> awesome. I do have that feeling a lot. Yeah, it's magical, super fun, and you can. The audience reaction you're getting here is just it's like crack. It's really it's it feels so good. Um, but also those very quiet moments, you can hear the whole house. You can hear a pin drop. Those are you can, magical. You can hear that, that that gasp. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, don't slay me. I need a yeah. I need a stay in character. But like so even good. that audible one person gasping, like, <gasps> it yeah. like slays me. I'm like, I know, Same. I know. Same. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful, though. It's cool to have that communion with each other. Mm. And what do two of you look for when you're when you're in a theater as an audience member or mm. as a performer? Because, like, Amber, you, you're talking about how you want to make socially relevant work. Yeah. And so is that, is now that you've done Hades Town, now that, you know, you're, you're both of you are, like, well-known in the business now, like, do you have a preference for what you want to do? I mean, the types of show that we're inside of, or even as an audience member, what I crave watching. Well, what you crave watching, theater yeah. as entertainment or theater as... I mean, I love it all. I like I like theater that's candy, and then I like theater that has some sustenance, you know what I mean? That some nutritional value. I, I, it all has its place, and I want it all to exist. That said, um, I don't feel like watching shows right now that are about disgusting human beings that have no sort of redemption by the end. I just like we don't need that art in the world. All you do is go outside. I do feel resentful about, so especially commercial theater where so much money is put into it. I'm like, why did we invest in this piece of art about ugly human beings that don't change by the end? That upsets me. That's, that's about it. Everything else, I love it all. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. I love soaking it in and learning and yeah. As artists, people usually, you know, try to put, to protect a lot on what you're doing. And artists are usually expected, uh, wrongfully, because we all should be doing it, activists. And we're like, people want artists to do activism constantly. And I really want to... People, well, you don't don't go on Twitter, so... I don't feel like that's true. I feel like people often resent, I think artists, because of exposure over time, sometimes have an amazing platform and use that as an opportunity for activism. But I actually feel like most people get resentful of that. I don't feel like it's the expectation. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe in a little bubbles. Yeah. Uh, I call it, because I really wanted to talk to you about the uh, Reverend Billy. Reverend Billy, uh, yeah. 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 And the stop shopping. See, I, that's why I need to read it. It's been called many things over the years. When I joined, it was called Reverend Billy and the Stop Shopping Gospel Choir. Now it's just called Reverend Billy and the Church of Stop Shopping. Billy Talon is a political activist and has been for many years. And there's like a formal grant that we get to bail people out of jail. And I've been in that choir for almost 15 years. And they're amazing. And so it's funny sometimes applying for grants with that group because you're like, is it music? Is it church? Is it theater? Is it act? Is it activism but some it's hands down the most diverse community I've ever been a part of age wise people from all over the world um, <laughs> undocumented like it, it runs the gamut right I'm exposed to way more different types of people in that community than I am in the theater world mm. which is actually like pretty homogenous at the end of the day in a strange mm-hmm. way um, 
but yeah, they've, they've, at the moment they're working with the new sanctuary coalition and, and working on like abolishing ice and they are incredible. They are an incredible community. Um, and it's how I know my baby daddy, Galen, who's a metal fabricator. Like, very few people in that choir are professional performers in any way. They're doctors, scientists, scientists lawyers. Um, yeah, they're an amazing community. And I'm, uh, if it hadn't been for that group, don't think I would have stayed in New York this long and certainly wouldn't have felt like I had the support system to have children. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow! So there you go, Reverend Billy. Wow! <laughs> thank you, Reverend Billy. Yeah, thank you, Reverend Billy. And they have an amazing show that we do all the time. I, currently, they when they have the theater performance bit of it, it tends to be at Joe's Pub, but we've performed all over the world, and they are always out in the streets doing actions. I mean, they like yeah, do so the cool. real work. Considering that half, basically, of Hades Sound takes place in the literal underworld, mm -hmm. What does your version of hell look like? Mm. Oh. I don't like to think about that because hell is gross. It's nasty. It's the worst. So <laughs> I don't know if I even want to visualize it. Death, sadness, no, no music, <laughs> no family, just uh, your lonesome self. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I haven't put much. Yeah, I mean, I've never really thought about that question before. That's intense. And I'm great, but I haven't. Oh. I do um, have guilt about having a second child because um, I can't honestly look my children in the eye and promise them that they will have clean water to drink when they're 30, right? Because of the state of our world. So in that sense, um, hell to me looks like the death of mankind. But then part of me is like, yes, Mother Earth, eradicate us. Mother Earth will be fine. Move on. Kill us off. <laughs> Oh my god, we should be friends. I think the same thing. <laughs> Kill us off. Um, so, I don't know. I, that, um, I would be fine if we were eradicated, but I do feel bad for my children. Hell, hell is some kind of world where like my children don't have clean air to breathe and like real food to eat. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that, on that <laughs> Love big. <laughs> We'd like to invite our viewers to go see Hades now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. We've been running for a very, very long time, right? <laughs> oh my god. And thank you both. Life ain't easy. Life ain't fair. Girls gotta fight for a rightful share. What you gonna do when the chips are down? Now that the chips are down. What you gonna do when the chips are down? So, did you hear Waitress is closing on Broadway? What? Yeah. Waitress? Waitress is closing. Are you for real? Yeah. I thought Waitress was going to run forever. No, it's been only playing at 50% capacity, so it's closing. That's no, so it sad. just it, They just announced it. Oh, okay. Thank you for destroying my day. No, I'm kidding. Like, not really. No, not really. It's a, It was one of my favorite shows that season, though. Mm -hmm. No, this, the music is fantastic. It's so beautiful. Yeah, and it's, getting, and it's doing well on tour, so it's, it's going to be in the repertory for a long time. It's very sad, because it's one of the only musicals by... Well, I mean, we have Katie's Sound mm -hmm. now, but it's one of the only women-centered musicals on Broadway. Yeah, and it's closing. That sucks. Well, I hope, I hope producers don't take that to me like they should be producing shows by women because Hey Sound's doing so well. Yes, if they do, they have no imagination. Yeah, and so as uh, we heard yesterday that what the Constitution means to me has recouped on Broadway, so it's now going to turn a profit, and it's a play about women, by women, starring women, and it's going to be making so much money. Yay, Heidi. Yeah, I think I wanted to talk today about about like what shows like the popular perception that... Um, shows by broad, by women people colored color don't sell well on broadway because i was just doing some I, I did i was doing some maths on and i discovered like the the hot the show that's like the shows are selling out on broadway now like that, that's like playing to like a hundred percent capacity 101 percent capacity this week is mockingbird which is fine hadestown 
Moulin Rouge, uh, Ain't Too Proud, and Hamilton. Oh, wow. So Mockingbird's basically the only white show. Yeah. Yeah, so that's bullshit if they claim that people of color and women don't sell stuff. People think they know, like, what will sell and what won't, which is why I think, like, you know, things like Pretty Woman, Mean Girls, and Tootsie get made. It's because, oh, it's a safe bet and they'll sell. But those shows aren't doing well. Like, Pretty Woman's going to close, and Tootsie's, Tootsie's, like, continues to be controversial. Pretty Woman also announced it was closing? Yeah, it's closing. So... Is there anything? Is there going to be anything on Broadway in the fall? <laughs> How many shows are closing right now? It's uh, Pretty Woman and the Prom, the Prom, the Shesho. Show. Oh, that was the show. I know, I know, the Shesho. Show. Uh, Ferryman. Yeah. Um, August is like a Broadway graveyard. So I guess if you got Broadway show that you want to bring into bring to Broadway, that by that's why women people of color. Do it like get that money now because there's openings. Slave play is coming. Slave play is coming by Jeremy O'Harris. Yeah, someone should just do Daddy at the theater where the share shows playing. <laughs> Continue the queer legacy of that theater. Like, why do you think so many shows are closing? Maybe people are poor. Mm-hmm. I mean, Broadway is very expensive. Yeah, and also like the marketing for a lot of the shows sucks. Yeah, they're not. How, how, how do you mean? Like, it sucks. Like, there are shows that people, you know, unless, like, I don't know. I mean, we both have been doing a lot of evangelizing, although that's not a word I want to use necessarily. But we're doing a lot of evangelizing when it comes to what the Constitution means to me. Uh, Because when a show is really, really good and it has, like, you know, a poster, for instance, that doesn't really say anything. And the marketing campaign center around, like, this is what the New Yorker said, and this is what the New York Times said, and all of that. You don't really attract people with quotes from critics, because people already despise most critics, and they don't believe them. And there's this impression that if a show is, like, very praised, it might be, like, um, classist or, like, elitist, right? So the marketing is so... Dull, and so you know it well, doesn't it excite people. Well, it did, well, that show in particular is selling at nine percent capacity. So, but I think that has less to do with the marketing and more to do with it's like community organizing. I think the the word of mouth for a show like that, and also for a mm-hmm. show like Hades Town. Like, if you look at the Hades Town poster, would you be like, that looks like something I want to see? Would you? No, but and, it has a fandom. I know. But but that yeah, yeah that it's like a fandom right it's like the word of mouth from the concept album the uh, Broadway production and all of that it's not the industry selling the shows but the mm-hmm. people selling the shows and it's exciting because it's almost like what we want to see happening in our democracy where it's the people who need to do the work and to energize everyone else around them. Yeah, and is it also fair to say that it's not about, like, it's so basic, but it's about, like, make it, creating art organically and creating art from that, that speaks to what the artist is concerned about, concerned about, which is that, which then speaks to what the audience is concerned about. Yes, and because art that excites people. Yeah, it, it excites people because like it wasn't made by committee. It wasn't like a bunch of white dudes getting together in a room and be like, oh, we need to make something that sells. Let's do King Kong because everyone knows that. And let's put like a giant puppet on stage and that will be a big marketing tool. And then it, it will make... <laughs> oh, King Kong's also closing. King Kong's also closing. And be more chill. Yeah. Everything's closing. Everything's closing. And so, like, maybe do less art by committee and more art that that actually speaks to something real. And then that's actually created from, like, an organic place of, I really needed to make this thing to get, like, as Heidi says, like, she made Constitution because it was, like, a form of therapy for her to, like, work through, like, all this trauma in her family. And and in doing that, working through that trauma, like, she's working through a lot, tr- like, trauma for other women in the audience and so i don't i don't know but 
You know what's exciting about this, though? Because, I mean, also, like, Anais Mitchell, uh, you know, the concept album for Hadestown is a protest album. So that's it's the same concept. But what I find really exciting about this is that the same thing is happening in the movie industry, Mm. where all the sequels, you know, they're making money Mm because they're basically the only thing that's playing in, like... Yeah, but they need to make a lot of money because it costs, like, millions to make that. Yeah, but also, like, this year's in particular most of the movies most of the movie sequels i think maybe except for like toy story or something like that but most of the movies and the avengers obviously but most of the movie sequels that are coming out are not making as much money as people thought they were going to make and audiences are sick and tired of this thing where it's again it's everything by comedian everything just about making a buck and it's not cool so i'm glad that audiences are taking a stand because going to the movies and going to the theater is not cheap yeah so don't make us spend our money and give us crap yeah and i think people are like really distrusting of capitalism and and about like oh they they're trying to get my money and i don't want to give it to them because it is it is it is like an obvious ploy and so, like, I think audiences, like, are, are smarter these days than people give them credit for. And it's not enough to just have, like, some big marquee familiar name, you know, movie sequel or, like, m- musical adapted from a movie. And and have something, like, that's a little bit more real because everyone's really stressed out these days. Yes. And, and everyone needs – and people need an escape. And they need to feel like some – they want to be in the presence of something authentic and that can, like – make them feel comforted considering the shit show that is happening in our world right now. Yes. Escapism does not have to be shallow. Mm-hmm. And thank you for listening to Socialist Theater Friends. Yeah. Next week we have AOC and Ayanna <laughs> Presley and Elon Omar. Can you imagine? Oh, anyway. Oh my god. And we're going to write a musical about universal health care. Oh my god. Kettle of Rock. <laughs> I was so excited over the weekend when, like, a lot of the immigrant communities and uh, all over the country were in panic. And did you see our friend Jumani Williams was mm-hmm. out, yes. you know, out doing the work and helping people? And I was just so excited. Hi, Jumani. Hi, Jumani. Continue doing it, and and you know, and also continue making some activist theater. Yes. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you're interested in watching Amber Gray do her Evita impression, subscribe and go find Token Theater Friends on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. And tell your friends about the podcast. Rate us and review us. It helps people find us. And remember, theater is more fun when you take a friend. Bye. That went places. That went places.